first run today. Yeah, we're doing good. Doing real good. Welcome, everyone, to Forge and Anvil. This is another one of those pre-recorded episodes because, uh, any luck, I might be a dad of baby number two by this point. Who knows? Depends on when this premieres. Either way, we're recording it in advance, and uh, we are together for the second time now. So, thrilling. We, yeah, very thrilling. So, this is going to be uh, one of those evergreen episodes that we talked about. So, this is... Uh, going to be a little different from our usual format where we break down the biggest news stories. So if you are joining us for the first time, usually uh, 8 p.m. Central Monday nights, we go live and we break down the biggest stories of the news week. Um, and uh, we try to bring a biblical perspective um, from that, as well as just uh, entertainment and a variety of different guests from all different worldviews. So feel free to join us sometime. Um, if you send in a chat tonight, we won't be able to respond because we're not actually live. But usually we do take your chats. So feel free to join us sometime when we're back to our usual schedule and we might just read your chat on air. But that being said, we want to talk about finances because finances is something uh, that's honestly just a lot of people of our generation, especially millennials, Gen Z, uh, they really, it's, it's a tough situation to it's be in. It's a struggle. It's, it's a, a struggle. It's, it's a concern. A, yes, that's, yeah. that's exactly it. But I wanted to preface this conversation first by saying, if you follow us, you should know that we are very aware of the World Economic Forum. We are aware of BRICS and... We are just aware of the overall globalist movement that wants to devalue the dollar, that wants to make make it to where your buying power is very, very limited, if not non-existent. So we realize that there are nefarious actors who want to take away the ability for you to control your financial freedom altogether. Mm. So we are going to put that on the shelf, though. We're not going to focus on that. We know mortgage rates are incredibly high. We know inflation is higher than it's been in a long time. And we realize that there are some real economic challenges going on right now. Which is primarily why we want to discuss this is because yes. when WEF says you'll own nothing and you'll be happy about it, I disagree. Exactly. <laughs> and the reality is one of the ways that they're going to get you there is by making sure that you are host financially. And don't get me wrong, their game plan is no matter how financially stable you are, you're going to own nothing and be happy. But it's going to be a lot harder for them to do that if the majority of the population is really well off financially. The reality is most people in America live paycheck to paycheck, and you don't have to do it that way. So we're going to talk about some overall principles of financial success uh, we're probably going to reference Dave Ramsey quite a bit because Michael and I both uh, learned a lot from him growing up. Um, but of course, we're just going to talk about general biblical principles of finances, as well as um, I'd like to even talk a little bit situational. I think that in today's America, despite all the craziness, you still can become a millionaire if you play your cards right and you're wise with your finances. Not that being a millionaire is the goal, but... My point is you can still utilize the amazing system that we have been given. It is a gift to be here and you can utilize that well and you can be a good steward and find yourself well off financially 
not because richness is the goal, but because ultimately you are called to be a good steward. Mm-hmm. So with all that out of the way, let's talk about finances. So first and foremost, I did see something recently that said that consumer debt is at an all-time high, which I think that record is surprising. broken constantly. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think it's something like that. national debt paves the way for that. Yes, it, it very much does. Absolutely. Um, but I guess, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with talking through a imaginary scenario where we kind of lay out a roadmap to success? Or would you rather talk through the um, basic principles first and lay it out from there? Let's do basic principles and apply those to the supposed circumstances. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, go ahead and take the lead on that first then. Well, consumer debt. I mean, that's number one. In our lives, we are made to believe that you are required to have credit cards and that that's how you build credit Mm -hmm. is by proving that you can spend imaginary money that doesn't belong to you. (laughs) It's credit something that drives me crazy and I've played the game and I even do it to a certain extent in order to afford... uh, privileges in our society that demand a credit and when it comes to consumer debt it's becoming more and more normal to pay on a mortgage if you're so privileged to be able to get into a mortgage to begin with than to pay on a car to pay on credit cards in addition to that one of the things that people paying phones phones are constant debt uh if you buy one of these and it costs a thousand dollars and then you they just say oh yeah you'll just pay on it for the next indefinite amount of time until we can upgrade you and then add to that payment right indefinitely right all of these things school student loans that's another huge one yep and when we look to the wisdom literature of scripture where solomon writes in proverbs and says to us in proverbs 22 verse 7 The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, we know that the rich rules over the poor, and we'd like to think that that's not the case, but the people who speak the loudest in our public forum about caring for the poor tend to be the rich who are ruling over them. Oftentimes, yeah. We have talked a lot about that. Many (laughs) of the people that are pushing some of the worst policies that actually hurt poor people the most are rich people that think that they're doing a good job by it. Yeah. Many of them are, uh, I'm not talking rich like billionaires even, I'm just talking like upper upper class, like barely an upper class or upper middle class. Yeah. And yeah, unfortunately it's just, it's just, it's the truth. But you don't have to stay in the lower class. The reality is we do have a system that allows you to move up in classes. Now, some people are going to immediately start to play victim here. And so something that I just want to ask you as you're watching this, try not to be a victim. If you are going to sit here and have a counter argument to every single little thing that we can, that we say, excuse me, uh, you can, you can easily do that. The reality is um, there's a lyric to a, a song that comes to mind. The rain will never stop if you're searching for every drop. And the reality is you can have a good excuse to almost every single thing that we say here. But the reality is if you want to continue to be a victim and always have a good excuse, 
then you're going to continue to be poor and be a victim. The reality is most of your excuses don't actually have to happen. There's legitimate ones like the ones I addressed in the beginning. But outside of that, if you work hard, and sometimes it will be very hard work depending upon your situation, but if you work hard, in time, you can completely change the trajectory of your financial life and the trajectory of your entire generations to come. Yeah. And on the note of victimhood, we do not deny that there are disadvantages. We've discussed many of them. There are other socioeconomic disadvantages that people experience, whether it, because, it be because of their ethnicity, their station, their disability. There are a great deal of disadvantages, but it is up to you to allow those disadvantages to prevent your ability to overcome them. Now, for example, there are individuals who have disabilities, physical disabilities that would prevent them from working a variety of jobs, but that does not prevent them from having the ambition to overcome their limitations and seeking out the opportunities that they are able to achieve. Right. That same scenario can be applied in a variety of disadvantages. And when we say victimhood, we're not just meaning that you are that you are subject to disadvantages because we are all subject to a variety of disadvantages and Some more advantages. Than Truly. But we believe genuinely, and this is not a picture of the American dream, it's a picture of American potential. Right. That the individual has enough autonomy in our society, in our resources, that you have the ability to get ahead and to better your life, to better the generations that will come from you. And Lord willing, be able to provide for those generations in not just the money dollars, but a culture of wealth that can allow them to prosper because of the principles that you've taught them. Yeah, exactly. And before we get into specifics, just really quick, I want to say that this is not financial advice that you have to take uh, as legitimate. I know that there are some rules around We're not giving financial, financial advice and pretending to be a financial advisor. We don't want any of you to come and tell us that uh, we made you poor because uh, you apparently decided to talk to your uh, rich uncle from Nigeria and you thought that it was legit. We're That's just not gonna on give us. you the insider on stock exchange so that you know exactly where to put your no, I'm just kidding. He's totally kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. No, but let's talk more principles and we oh. can talk a little bit specifics, but we're gonna make up examples and things of the like. So let's talk about debt. Yeah, we were we were kind of touching on debt. How can I mean we are in our in our late twenties, you and I. We're in that generation of individuals, um, the the latter millennials who are facing the steepest cliffs when it comes to finances, because we are at a time where we would be building families. I mean, Connor's about to have a second child. And how does he provide that child with a home and with the resources needed on a single family income? And likewise, that's I'm a step behind him in that trajectory, but how do we figure out how to get out from under student loans? How do we figure out how to own a vehicle, how to purchase and pay on a mortgage? And what are the boundaries yeah. that are reasonable with those things? And I would honestly say as a principal, you should be debt-free. 
I will couch that with a, a one caveat, meaning it, I understand that some individuals like Michael and I actually differ on this. I don't have a credit card. Michael does use credit cards. We've talked about this in the past. Part of why is because, to be honest, Michael, you grew up with Dave Ramsey and different financial wisdom. Mm -hmm. I think you are disciplined enough to have a credit card and to be able to use it and not actually be in debt. You only use the credit card for something that you actually already have the money for in the bank to immediately pay off just so you can keep a good credit score. Mm -hmm. Now, personally, I, I don't like it. that. I hate it as well. Because it's basically I'm spending my money on the things that I would normally spend my money on. I'm just inserting a middleman that allows me to have benefits at the expense of people who aren't able to use that same level of discipline. Right. Which right. I have, honestly, I have a moral quandary with that because I'm benefiting from someone else's downfall when I'm able to use points on my credit card for, for my own gain. Yeah. It's an issue. It is. And for that reason, I don't choose to have one. Yeah. But either way, I think you should try at every possibility to be debt free. So if you are currently in debt, you need to do whatever you can to get out of debt. Of course, within legal means. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, especially if you are a single male, there's a lot, one of our heaviest demographics, according to YouTube at least, uh, you YouTube viewers at least is going to be men from ages 25 to 45. That's our largest demographic. If you are a single man, there is no reason why you can't work two jobs. If, you, if, you're, if you're saying that you can only tread water, and this is not long-term, but for a season, you need to do what you can to earn enough income to attack your debt. Because to Michael's point, he asked, how can I provide for a family on one income? I don't make a lot of money. Someone's going to assume that I make six figures. I don't. I actually see, in fact, a, a guy I follow on Twitter, uh, every now and then he throws up a poll. How much do you have to make in order to be a single uh, income family? And his lowest one is always like right at 100000 mm -hmm. I am not anywhere close to that. How do I afford it? My wife and I were debt-free prior actually not prior to marriage we had a little bit of debt when we got married my school debt that we immediately paid off but either way you can afford so much more when you don't have money going out to all of your debts when you don't have 15 dollars going towards paying your cell phone when you don't have 300 dollars going to your car when you don't have 400 dollars going to your student loans i mean immediately that's that's 700 plus dollars right there that i just threw out that uh, on a monthly basis, on a monthly basis yeah. you get. I mean, for some people, that's their mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk. Let's let's peel that back a layer because it's easy to say, "Yeah, we're not in debt because we paid off our debt." Well, we have to get there. And in my my experience as well, my wife and I were debt free. By the time we married, we spent our dating time viciously paying off debt and spending zero money. Mm -hmm. And I I want to point that to the, I think the foundational principle that will educate every aspect of this conversation, and that is priorities. Yeah. The priorities that you place in your life will educate the way that you have determined your efficacy for financial stability. Now, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here because I, I have my own perspective on this, and that is that there are metrics to life where you will weigh your quality of life 
versus your potential, the quality of life and the, so the quality of life being, there are people that I've spoken with who say, I can't pay off my debt because I can only give this much money per month. Right. If someone has $40,000 of student loan debt and they give $500 a month and they're paying over the required amount, then they think that they're doing a great job. And yet those same individuals might elect to eat out at restaurants. They might pay for streaming services. They might pay for a, a variety of amenities in their life that you and I might consider non-essentials. Right. And because we have prioritized those things as our standard of living, it is a greater value to you and I, and hopefully to you, the viewer, it is a greater value to us to be free of debt than it is to be comfortable in the interim. So in my experience, I graduated in my undergrad with, I I worked my butt off during school and I managed to graduate with only $27,000 of student loan debt. So I'm extremely blessed that I was able to graduate with that low number, which still $27,000 is a formidable foe to a freshly graduated 23 year old who doesn't know anything and has never worked an adult job. Right. I mean, I definitely worked, but I worked really hard through college to make sure that it was only that small amount. But when I got an adult job, I, I, you could ask the people in my life at that time. I did I was one of them. almost nothing. I didn't go out to eat. I wouldn't go to social events. I was more disciplined than most because I desperately wanted to get out from under the debt. And that's because I knew that I wanted to do continuing education. And I knew right. that I was interested in pursuing graduate studies, even insofar as a PhD, which I, Lord willing, will achieve. But... I I had a tenacity behind my desperation to get out of debt that allowed me to get $27,000 paid off in 17 months. I was paying just as often as possible. I was trying to pay $2,000 a month, mm. which is pretty incredible considering I made something like $2,700 a month anyway. So I was living off of very little, as little as I need. And that's because I prioritized getting out of debt at that time of singleness. And I was very blessed to be in a position where I could do that. I realize, like we discussed, the the disadvantages that individuals experience will not allow them to pay that drastic of an amount. So it may not be expedited to that degree, but the, the priority is, is the, the same yeah that you wanted to get out of debt so you prioritized and shift things around you didn't eat out you didn't you didn't go to fun events where you had to pay a 20 dollar you know fare you just kept your head down and worked and so the idea is not necessarily that you're going to have the same exact timeline it's just the idea that you're going to reprioritize your life look at what things in your budget if you don't have a budget get on a budget that's probably that. that's probably our next <laughs> point, if anything. Yeah. Which, all again, everything is going to come from that priorities thing. I'm so glad that you backed up and went there. Mm-hmm. But getting on a budget is huge. You need to actually know where your money is going. If you need to, again, Dave Ramsey, I'm going to reference him. Every Dollar is an app that he has that's free where you can create your own budget. 
you need to actually see what you're making and you need to allocate every single dollar so that you know where it's going. Because honestly, I, I know people, and to me, this is crazy, but this is just, again, it's priorities. To me, I, I just couldn't live this way. But I have a lot of friends that don't even know how many serv- how many streaming services they're paying for. And if you were to if that. you were to get on a budget, you would see every week ten dollars for Netflix. I don't actually know what the prices are anymore because I don't have them. But ten dollars for Netflix. <laughs> there's other for, reasons for that, not just financial. But. Yes, and we've talked about some of those on our main episodes. Yeah, but ten dollars for Netflix, ten dollars for Disney Plus, fifty dollars for Amazon Prime. Uh, I don't know, ten dollars for Hulu, five dollars for. Whatever yeah, crunchy yeah. roll. <laughs> Soon you have a crunchy roll. Crunchy people roll. Still buy that? <laughs> they, they sure do. They sure do. But either way, my my point is like all that adds up. You yeah. know, you get to a point where you've got an extra seventy five dollars in a month mortgage. just from your from your 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 streaming, mm-hmm. and you know that's just streaming. Let alone food. Eating out is one of the biggest things that people do yeah. that just blows through your money. And you might be surprised if you actually tracked how much you eat out. And some of you are going to say, but Connor, I don't eat out. You know who I'm talking about. You probably know someone who does eat out all the time. Well, let's take another aspect. How about your daily trip to Dutch Bros or Starbucks or... Right. Some people, (laughs) friends of ours we know who have blown a ridiculous amount of money on a daily basis. Now we're going to sound like a missionary... uh, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> nonprofit for the price of a coffee every yeah. day. You yeah. too could keep a starving child from you can not keep six children from not dying in yeah. Botswana. <laughs> but the the idea is the same. Yeah, I know people that would buy a five to eight dollar coffee every single day. Could you imagine yeah. that? Genuinely, or multiple of them. No. Yeah. yeah, that's I, ridiculous. That's hundreds of dollars. Yeah. In a month, if you buy an $8 coffee every day? In my my current lifestyle, because like I said, it's all priorities. It's adjusting um, expectations for quality of life. I hold a very high quality of life by my standards because we eat high quality foods. Now, that being said, we try to grow as much as we can in a garden. We get locally sourced produce as well as meat resources which can be more expensive, but are also more nutrient dense and are able to sustain us and with a greater efficiency. So I think of a huge misnomer as far as eating out. I know a lot of people who choose to go to fast food restaurants because they say they can't afford anything else. Right. The nutritional value of fast food is not providing you with, with value. So if you're going to if you're going to McDonald's and smashing Big Macs because that's the cheaper option, and then you're hungry the next day because you binge ate and then go on an intermittent fast inadvertently because you're trying to lose weight or something, this goes into a lot of other life principles that are right. all going back to priority. And there's a true nature to eating quality foods, making it yourself is honestly just cheaper. We, my wife and I do as much as we can to be self-sustained, which also goes into other aspects of of livelihood. But some of those aspects of being self-sustained, purchasing in bulk and making stuff ourselves prevent us 
from even thinking that we have the opportunity to go buy a burger somewhere on a whim, because why would I go buy a burger somewhere on a whim when I already purchased 200 pounds of beef that are sitting in a deep freezer at home? Yeah. I can't afford to do that since I already laid down all my payment for the beef for the next eight months or more. So that's, that's one way that we budget is just by meal prepping, but not necessarily making all our meals in advance, just knowing what, where our nutritional value is coming from as a part of our budget. Yeah, exactly. So once you've got your priorities straight, meaning you've decided that you want to be financially successful and you're going to be willing to maybe sacrifice some creature comforts to get there, then you've decided to get on a budget and you've got your budget and you're sticking to your budget. Then the next step would be in my, in my mind would be to start hustling and actually do it. And that's what I began to talk about before you brought me down to earth to lay the foundation mm-hmm. is you should be willing and able to bust your butt to get out of debt. And so for many young men, who are single, you have the capacity to honestly work two full-time jobs if you wanted to. But I get that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. But honestly, if you have a full-time job that's just making making enough for you to just get by without actually putting anything away towards the future or having a safety net of an emergency fund, because that's another thing that's huge. I think you should get an emergency fund. Um, you know, Dave Ramsey, he does a $1,000 emergency fund before paying any debt. And that's a pretty good idea as well. So if you want to think about that as sort of our 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 official part three, then mm. there we go. But getting to the hustle, um, if, if your full-time job just barely pays for your current lifestyle, first do what we talked about a moment ago. Check and see what you can reprioritize because you might find that you actually have enough money just with your current job, your current situation, without making any changes aside from budgeting and reprioritizing, you might already find a couple hundred bucks each month that you didn't even realize you were losing. But if ultimately that's that's not enough, if you're a single guy, seriously, go get a part-time job. Delivering pizzas even if you need to. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not above a job if you are wanting to be financially successful attack your debt put as much towards your debt as you can each month to get out of debt quickly because once you're out of debt and you stay out of debt you will immediately see your quality of life go up because you're going to have financial peace the quality of life that improves when you're not living paycheck to paycheck is I mean, that reduces stress, that reduces anxiety, allows you to sleep better, which will allow you to perform better so that you can do better in the job that you have. You can literally have better health. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a, a rolling stone and the attrition will be in your benefit. The There's two aspects to this that I want to bring up. And the first is that there is great value to suffering. And if you just need to grind it out for a year or two to work all times and get as much money to get out of debt, that is well worthwhile. It is a worthwhile endeavor. The other side of this, though, is if you're busting your butt in a job that isn't compensating you well 
then maybe you need to figure out how to do something different or yeah. realign yourself to make yourself valuable in a different area of expertise. Yeah. Because you don't skill. Yeah. Be willing to actually job hunt. Sometimes people just get mm-hmm. comfortable because they've been at a place a long time. Yeah. When in reality, their their current skill set can get them higher pay somewhere else. There's an aspect to my own personal wealth where people in my life think that I suffer because I've made sacrifices, which for a solid year and a half, I worked my butt off and it kind of sucked. But once I got out from debt, I was able to readjust my priorities again and live reasonably comfortably while still having those underlying principles in effect. And a part of that was eventually affording myself to be able to give up the job that I was not enjoying that paid me a good amount in order to do something that I was more passionate about with the comfort of knowing that I was not shooting myself in the leg by taking out huge debt. So right now I am a grad student that is not dependent on student loans because I was able to, my wife and I both were able to be disciplined early on to afford that in our current life. Right. Now, when you're redefining a job and a purpose, do something that you're good at and that you might enjoy. And I genuinely believe if that is a site that you're setting for yourself and a trajectory of your career, you don't have to be miserable. I mean, even right now, us making this podcast is not something that we get any money from, but we're passionate about it. So we're going to put effort into it in hopes that maybe it could also benefit to us financially. But if it never does, it will still be worthwhile. Right. And in the same way, if you are passionate about something it may not be your day job yet, but yeah. you can still press into what the Lord has equipped you with and the passion of your heart and the desire that you have to provide value to the world can be gratified in the long term as long as you don't give up that dream. Yeah, exactly. So be okay with working a job that's not your dream job if it gives you the freedom to do what you actually feel you were created for, honestly. Yeah. Which... I, I, I want to talk about once you're actually debt-free. So I think we've hammered that out pretty yeah. well. So once you're actually debt-free, there's a lot of things that you can do in terms of investment. I think investing would probably be one of the next steps in general. Um, actually, first, I would say build up a, a decent emergency fund. Well, yeah, you should have, like Ramsey says, six months of expenses ready to go. Yep. So that if you get knocked in the head and can't work, you're not going to be left out in the cold. That's where a lot of the peace starts to come from is when you know like you can take sick time off. If you're someone that's paid hourly, you can take sick time off and not be hosed because you actually have an emergency fund. You have money in the bank. That's important. Mm. And I would just treat that six month emergency fund similar to the debt where I think you should hustle until you've got six months. Once you're done with six months, that's when you can calm down. And this is the big thing that people like when they hear someone talk like we're talking, mm-hmm. they think I am not going to do that. I'm not going to work two jobs the rest of my life. I'm not going to yeah. kick myself every single day just for money. And that's when a lot of people start to think you're greedy or, you know, you, you have your priorities wrong. If you're chasing money, we're not talking about this long term. This, this should be a short term 
time of hustle. Once you get to the point where you're out of debt and you've got a solid emergency fund, that's when you can calm down and then just work a normal job and preferably one that you can still tuck away a little bit extra each month into something, which would be an investment. Now for me, talking now about investing, one of the, one of the biggest drivers of wealth in America is home ownership. So I really think that home ownership is one of the most important things that you can do financially. The Bible also talks a lot about private property. Um, that could be a whole other tangent, so we won't dive into all the verses on private property today. Um, but there are many examples from Abraham to just in the entirety of Israel's history. Yeah. Um, the promise to Israel. Right. Uh, but private property is a big thing that the Bible advocates. And it is a appreciating asset so long as you, you know, don't buy in an absolute slum. You know, if you if you do your market research, it will be an appreciating asset that when inflation goes up, the value of your house goes up, first of all. So your net worth goes up. Now, obviously, that's not money that you're going to have on hand. Inflation's still killing me, for example. I'm hurt by inflation, but I am a homeowner now. My wife and I busted our butt and we got 20% down on a home. And we're even on a 15-year mortgage, and we're very blessed that God has allowed that to happen. Now, obviously, we were disciplined on our end, but it's de there's definitely a there's unquestionably the Lord has blessed us, and we acknowledge that. Which part of that discipline goes back to the priorities for you, where right. your family chose to move to a different state in a different part of the country yep. that could afford you that opportunity. And that was something I was going to say. We do need to realize that sometimes if you're living in the middle of downtown New York paying $9,000 in rent for yep. a broom closet, like <laughs> honestly, if your goal is to be a, a property owner in New York, and yeah, you better yeah, be making a lot of money. Yeah. Right. But so ultimately, if you need to prioritize, if you want to be a homeowner because you want to maybe be a provider to a family, maybe you want to be a a patriarchal male <laughs> <laughs> providing for a family on one income. The nerve. You probably can't do that in New York City unless you're making real good money. But you yeah. might be uh, willing to move, switch jobs. And go to the middle of Podunk, Arkansas, and buy a house for thirty thousand dollars. Mm. I don't know if thirty thousand. That might be a bit of a stretch, even yeah. for Podunk, Arkansas. But I will say, I have Six. seen houses like that. But yeah. my point is, there are states. Go to the heartland, honestly. Go mm. to the go to the the flyover country, as some mm. snobs have deemed it. Interesting. <laughs> I haven't heard that. Before. Oh, it's very common. <laughs> it's, yeah. Anyways, that's a whole other thing, but. Honestly, be willing to do that if it means that your priorities are going to be met properly. And that's if you choose to make that a priority. For sure. Your location is one of the priorities that you need to adjust according to your standard of living. Yep. If that's if not being in a big city is not a a standard that you're willing to give up, then you just have to adjust elsewhere yep. to make the priorities line up with your goals yeah or else you maybe just need to change your goals yep but i want to i want to talk into another biblical principle here you're talking about investing 
And it, it brings to mind the parable of the talents. Jesus tells about a man going on a journey and he calls his servants and he gives these three guys three different amounts of money. Uh, to one, he gives five talents, another two, and another one. These are monetary amounts. The guy with five talents goes out and he works really hard and he invests and he doubles the money. The guy with two talents does the same thing. He does a good job and he invests and doubles the money. The guy with one talent is discouraged because he's got the one and he's afraid to lose it. So he buries it. And when the master comes back, he digs it up and says, here you go. Here's what you gave me. And I want to read you the response to that, which is in Matthew 25, verse 26 and on. It says, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has, more will be given. To everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is often preached in a variety of perspectives. Right. And what I want to focus on for right now is just the the aspect of stewardship. The, what this parable is pointing to, this is a, a full discourse where Jesus is explaining the kingdom of heaven. And he's describing the stewardship that followers of him have for people in the kingdom of heaven. And he uses monetary device as a way of helping people understand what investment looks like and what stewardship looks like. And the most questioned verse is right there in verse 29. It says, for everyone who has, more will be given. To everyone who has, more will be given. And he'll have an abundance. And from the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. This does not mean that you need to be Joel Osteen collecting <laughs> everyone's money so that you can be a, a tycoon you know, having every little thing and running this empire of financial wellness. But what it does mean is you are tasked with stewardship. I believe that this text is not just talking about money, obviously. Right. It is talking about stewardship of your livelihood, stewardship of the resources and abundance that God has tasked you with. And we are called, even since the beginning in Genesis 2, to be fruitful and multiply and to govern the earth. Yep. So... If I have the privilege of home ownership, then that means I am going to be stewarding my home in the, the wellness of my home. I will be stewarding the earth that it sits upon yeah. to manage it well, to have a healthy ecosystem. But I also steward each paycheck that comes into my account. And how I steward these things, I think, reflects the benevolence of God that to the one who has a lot, more will be given. Yeah. And to one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. Yep. And this doesn't mean that there's a cruel, vicious, vindictive God casting judgment on poor people. This is a commentary on stewardship. And right. that's the point that I want to bring it up is that 
the reason that we discuss priorities, the reason that we discuss evaluating your standard of living to adjust to the priorities for the goals that you have is an effort to account for the stewardship that is required of you to make much of what has been given to you. And particularly for those of you who are watching as an American citizen or a, even if not a citizen, an individual living in the first world country and with the privileges and opportunities that you've been afforded, you have many, many things with which you have been tasked with responsibility and stewardship over. Right. Right. Exactly. Because you, you won the lottery. <laughs> if yeah. you are in America, if you were born in America, born honestly, in the US of a. You, you truly did. You truly did by all, almost every measure that you can think of. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I mean, there's, there's a lot more that we can get into here. The reality is with, with money, especially when, you know, we, we sat down, we just knew roughly that we wanted to have a financial talk. We didn't have a super um, set, set um, game plan on everything we were going to be discussing before diving in here. And there's so much more that we can do. And so for the sake of this episode, not being too long, I think just to a quick recap, prioritize budget hustle to get out of debt. Mm -hmm. And then after you're done hustling to get out of debt, hustle to get a, at least three to six month emergency fund. Once you've got that emergency fund, you can take a deep breath then just work a little bit more normal situation what we ideally think of and exercise stewardship exercise stewardship yeah. invest your money whether that be home ownership or just anything that's a sound investment honestly mm-hmm. and again we're not going to get into all the details of well, stocks stuff like that because that's not the that's not our forte necessarily as a as a um, podcast but well even what we might say is find someone who is reputable honest and willing to work with you if that's a step that you're at find someone who's willing to honor your money with the stewardship that they've been tasked with as well right and if you guys ever want us to get more specific if this is like the kind of content that you're hungry for i mean we can we can do future content on this i'm okay with that please drop questions and comments we would love to address them as well for sure i'm bumping everything here but uh but i i want to end talking about uh, we, we can do a whole episode on this as well, but I want to quickly address the Peter Pan syndrome because mm. I know that that's something you and I have talked yeah, about please explain. a lot. Peter Pan. So Peter Pan, I'm not the only one who's used this reference. It's, it's, it's circulated all over, but we have a, in fact, I almost wore a shirt that I have. I only wear it as a uh, pajama shirt now because I do not, I do not just, I, I'm not okay with wearing it in public because I, I just, I don't agree with this attitude. It says, don't grow up. It's a trap. Oh, and it was actually, it was a church that they, they gave it to basically their, their youth workers. And it was, it was like a funny little gimmick, but the, the more that I have just dwelt on that shirt, the mm-hmm. more I absolutely despise that saying, because that is unfortunately an attitude in our culture, especially among millennials and now even some older Gen Z, where there are individuals that just do not want to grow up. And they don't. And they don't. They truly don't. I know many individuals significantly older than me that are still living at home, unmarried, in debt, 
they basically just work a dead end job and they go home and they play video games or they, you know, continue to do whatever thing that they spend their free time with and they have no plan. So this Peter Pan syndrome is huge. And we've even talked about doing an episode much more in depth on the Peter Pan syndrome, but when it specifically comes to finances, there's no reason if you are <laughs> honestly, I would say 18 and older, but if I'm being a little bit more generous, a little less legalistic, I guess yeah. I could say age 25. If you're age 25 and all you do is work part-time, you probably need to reprioritize something because objectively Unless your part-time is affording you a lifestyle to take responsibility over a yes. reasonable amount of things. Maybe one of you will be an outlier and you're working part-time because you're making $75 an hour and you're like, Hey, part-time is $75 yeah. an hour. I'm, I'm fine. But that's not most of us, hmm. but there is a, a large portion of our generation that is still just working either part-time or working for peanuts. Yeah. And the reality is not because being rich is the goal, but because being able to be a provider for yourself, being able to have enough money to bless your fellow man. I mean, for crying out loud, if a brother in Christ comes to you and they're in a tight spot because they have medical bills, do you have the ability to bless them in any way? Mm. If you don't, I mean, that's a weak spot. Not because, again, not to get legalistic, you can't earn your your way into, <laughs> into yeah. God's good graces. We've talked about that many times on the show as well. Mm. We believe salvation is through faith alone, but grace. Right. But, you know, ultimately, ultimately, it, there is something to be said about that stewardship principle again, that the Bible says that a man who does not provide for his own family is worse than an unbeliever. There's a reason for that. Because it, I, I believe it's biblical to be able to be a provider to your family. And if you don't have a family yet, I think just being able to have the freedom when God calls you to bless someone to be able to say yes and be able to do that and not feel like you've shot yourself in the foot financially. Because the reality is there's just no need to live that way. There are many adult boys Yes. And if we're talking to the men, because that's what Peter Pan syndrome is, is that it's the boy who never grew up. That's that's the whole beauty of the Peter Pan story that is magical when you're a child. But the reality is we're called to much greater things than boyhood. Right. And a large aspect of going from a boy to a man is not being married. It's not chest hair. It's not... <laughs> making a certain amount of money it has nothing to do with the actual finance itself it has to do with the responsibility that you take and right. a man is made responsible for others in a serious way where others depend on him and if you're a man who is dependent on everyone around you and is not able to provide for anyone else whether that be financially or spiritually emotionally you should step up yeah. And that I think is how Peter Pan grows up is that he steps out of the frivolous Neverland that he would like to stay in and accepts the responsibilities of the world and becomes a man. And with that comes the responsibility of stewardship. 
because you have been given things and it is up to you to take responsibility of them. But like I said, that's not, that doesn't mean you have to be married or have children. You can step up and be responsible for your parents. And unfortunately, many people in Peter Pan's syndrome situations have that thrust upon them when suddenly their invalid parents that they've lived with all this time dependent on are suddenly unable to care for themselves right and the tables turn and that's a very unpleasant way to be inaugurated into manhood yeah absolutely yeah yeah wow and unfortunately it is a trend yeah i don't know if it's a majority i don't know what the actual statistics on that are but i can tell you anecdotally I know many individuals that yeah. unfortunately fit the category that we described. And of course we say all this with love our, but our, our podcast is called forge and anvil. Okay. I mean, it's called forge and anvil because we are going to really hash out these conversations with a hammer and an anvil, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's not going to be comfortable. These conversations are not meant to be comfortable. And obviously you can, guys can, comment and give us pushback if you think we're way off base here we're always willing to dialogue further on this um but hopefully some of these uh ideas that we've thrown out here tonight rather sporadically but uh um i i, I think that uh it's been a productive conversation Hopefully yeah. some of these ideas were beneficial to you. And if you guys like this content and Michael and I have just been sitting down cause we're together and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to just be able to sit down without much of a plan and just turn on the microphone and see what happens. But if you guys like this kind of content, when it comes to things like financial advice or when it comes to things like general um, biblical principles on how to better run the race, let us know. We can do more like this. We can, we can always change things up. Anything to say in closing? Um, I guess just recap. Get out of debt. Take responsibility. Be a good steward of what God has given you in life. And live life of the fullest. Not the fullest of the American dream, but the fullest of God's plan for you in the kingdom. And when you are liberated from the slavery of debt, you will be better equipped to serve the kingdom. Amen. With that, we'll wrap it up. But thank you so much. We have been Forge and Anvil. Feel free to join us sometime on a Monday Night Live. Usually we are live. This was pre-recorded again if you're just now joining in. Uh, but uh, usually we go live and we cover the biggest news stories of the week. And we try to bring some biblical perspective to that as well with a wide variety of guests from varying uh, worldviews. And uh, feel free to join us sometime for one of those regular episodes. We read your chats on air. So feel free to uh, send in your questions and uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Forge and A. If you're watching this on uh, any podcast platform, feel free to give us a five-star rating if you're so kind. Um, and uh, make sure to like and subscribe wherever you find us. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time. Good night.